This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, the Olympics are going ahead whether we like it or not. Upsets are plenty to start off the NBA playoffs. 7 and 11 are not the same. <laughs> and just how shit are the AFL umpires and match review panel? I'll answer that now, Barry. Let's go. It's just after nine o'clock Western Australian Standard Time on Tuesday, the 25th of May. As we do at the top every week, Shui, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was the ridiculously difficult conditions for the players at the PGA Championship in Kiowa Island in South Carolina. Mm. Five over made the cut, which is a very high score to do so in a tournament. John Daly shot 85 and 86 to miss the cut at 27 over par. Wow. Kevin Nah finished at 13 over, Matt Kuchar 10 over, guys like Zach Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood, Dustin Johnson, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Justin Thomas, and Sergio Garcia all missed the cut. Mm. Really good players. Big names, yeah. But spare a thought for Cameron Tringale. Heading to the 14th tee, he was five under par, well and truly in contention. He dropped 13 shots in the next five holes. Yeah, yeah. That's terrible. Including a quintuple bogey 10 Ouch. on the par 5 16th to miss the cut by two shots. Yeah. Ouch, indeed. Did you see that the NCAA women's golf tournament was cancelled due to poor conditions and they were much better than the conditions for the PGA Championship event? I didn't see that. And, like, all the coaches and talking heads are like, what the hell is going on? They said that the course was up to the level of playing but not up to championship level. Mm. And then one of the coaches basically said, well, when I was on the LPGA, we were basically playing in a bloody hurricane. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, so really sad for those poor girls, yeah. Mm, Definitely. But look, great to see Phil Mickelson take the title. Yes. At 50, becoming the oldest player to win a major in golf history, which is superb. But, geez, did you see the scenes around the 18th grade? (laughs) Yeah, I saw the footage. Yeah, they were saying it's almost akin to the crowd at the Masters. It was worse. Yeah. Brooks Kepka actually hurt his knee. Wow. In that, because people I didn't know were that. all pushing the marshals into Phil Mickelson, just trying to get as close as they pit. could. Yeah, it basically yeah. did. It became a, a huge mosh pit. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, absolute insanity. But, yeah, great for Phil, obviously. How about yourself, Nath? Well, the first one is Shannon Sharp calling Julio Jones live on air. Uh, I think it's on the Undisputed, where he basically asked him if he was going to be coming back to the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL. And he was like, yeah, no, nah, not going to happen. But there's all this furor over whether or not he actually knew he was on air at the time and whether or not Shannon Sharp actually broke laws in California for recording someone on the phone without consent. Oof. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he did break the law. I mean, that, that would be Undisputed. love seeing in a Colts uniform just quietly but uh look the other thing I can't not mention so my girlfriend and her friends have a little annual tradition where they get together and watch Eurovision every year so it was good fun it's always good for a laugh I noticed that the singer from Georgia had a lot of reassure about him yeah a little bit so you know squeezing in a bit of sport into Eurovision can I give you some hot takes at least he turned up (laughs) at least he could thoughts with you Rachel can I give you some hot takes? Please do. It looked like the singer from Bulgaria borrowed her jumpsuit from King Jong-un's wardrobe. Oh, dear. I dubbed the Serbian team Destiny's Mild. Okay, explain. Well, basically, they look like Destiny's Child, but they were pretty average. They're just not as good. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, Marino included Flow Rider, but the main singer looked like Tina Turner circa Mad Max. That was kind of cool. I don't think Flow Rider's from San Marino. Just no, no, no. <laughs> That's no. kind of... Um, the call of the night was my girlfriend's friend who dubbed Germany as Blue's Clues Crossed with Vicodin. 
Jeez, that gives a pretty weird vision. (laughs) But one last uh, little sport reference. Miff did mention the shark from the Super Bowl when they were talking about funky costumes and what's memorable. Oh, cool. Yeah, good to see Italy win a rock and roll act. So restore my faith in the world of rock. It wasn't the best song in the world, but it was certainly better than some of the shit that was on there. What did you miss, mate? Well, I have to say, I entirely missed Eurovision, which is a bit unusual for me. I do like watching it. Ah, it's a good life. And there's zero votes for the UK. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, that, that kind of reminded me of that Father Ted episode where Ted and Dougal sing My Lovely Horse for Eurovision and get no votes. Oh, mate, we're five minutes in. We've already had a Eurovision and a Father Ted reference. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Great show. Uh, this weekend was so jam-packed with footy and basketball. I barely kept up with all of that without having to watch that guy from Italy get accused of snorting cocaine off a table when he was picking up a broken glass. Well, clearly his nose wasn't at table level. You only need to look at the bottles of of drinks that were there to know that his nose wasn't at table level so that was a they tested him and everything yeah. so so it seems like a lot of people missed that as well yeah so yeah apparently what did you miss Nate? well we missed making a free willy joke last week when we were talking about the Loch Ness Monster and whale dicks we did that was a shame we did but I, I missed I tell you what I missed the end of the D's and the Crows uh, so we were at the campfield before the Swans Dockers match, and we just hear this like, Whoa! like all this carry on. And I, did, I had no idea until afterwards what happened. So we'll get there when we get to the AFL. Oh, we will. Uh, but I also I also missed some some playing games. And look, I would have liked to have seen them, but at the end of the day, do I really want to see Indiana on the, either side of two blowouts? There's just not enough hours in the day. So that's yeah, a, that's a fair call. So it's been reported that John Coates, the vice president of the International Olympic Committee, has said that the Tokyo Games will go ahead at the end of July, even if Japan is in a state of emergency due to COVID. There's a very large portion of the population who feel uneasy at the prospect of people coming in from overseas and mixing. And fair enough. Yeah. It's even been reported that a lot of retired nurses will be asked to come out of retirement to assist. Yeah, should wow. shit in the yeah right. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, look, I, I think it, it should probably be cancelled. If that if that country's on its knees, like I heard Osaka particularly is in big trouble at the moment and the triaging and all the heartbreaking stuff we've heard about in other countries over the last year and a half, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because athletes only get every four years to participate in the Olympics. And, okay, some sports like basketball, it's not as big a deal. But for some sports, it's a massive deal. It is, it is almost the be-all, end-all. But... At the end of the day, public health has to win, doesn't it? Yep. And the thing is, we're not seeing the same sort of footage, obviously, when, well, not that India's out of the woods by any stretch of the no, imagination. No, not at all. Not at all. But you go back a few weeks and you were seeing all this harrowing footage of people dying on the steps of hospitals, which yeah. we've spoken about. Oh, yeah. We're not seeing that, obviously, because Japan is a, a much wealthier nation as a whole, effectively. With a lesser population. Yeah. Less poverty. But, yeah, still, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. I agree entirely. I know it's potentially an unpopular opinion, but they, the world doesn't need the Olympics right now. No, it's it's going to be a very odd Olympics. And I think the people have made a really good point. You've got people coming from all over the world and not everyone has been fortunate enough to live in Australia or the majority of the oceanic region where it's been largely under control. Mm. A couple of cases is seen as an outbreak. Yes, yeah. Well, Melbourne's losing its shit over five cases at the moment. Yeah, but you can't tell Spain or Iran or the USA or any of these countries oh, that have... The UK, yeah. everywhere, just about. Just like You can't tell them that they can't compete because they've got a ton of COVID cases. Mm. But we know that a negative case getting on a plane doesn't guarantee that the person isn't actually positive. Mm. So, yeah, it's been well over a year since this pandemic began it's not exactly a case of the end being in sight. I just don't know that stirring together athletes from over 100 nations in a small pot seems to make sense right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. So, look, we'll cross everything and pray that it all goes without a hitch, but 
And much like the play-in, we'll, we're not big fans, but we'll still watch it when it's there. Absolutely. And in that vein, Stewie, we have a mailbag question. We do. So we've got a question here from Mr. Schnrub. <laughs> Obviously a Simpsons Yes, book. indeed. Um, <laughs> first of all, he's got this. So this is in, re- in reference to Just Not Cricket from episode 49. Listening to your podcast regarding the dude with 35 girlfriends and the different birthdays, it would be so that he doesn't run the risk of surprise parties, etc., by having them all on the same day. It reduces the likelihood that they will cross paths with his other lovers. But 35 is a tad fucking excessive. That means two out of three weeks he's having a party. Not to mention he most likely got taken out for dinner by these girls as a present because fuck knows you can't explain the never-ending torrent of I love you bears in the trash each week. (laughs) (laughs) He's clearly thought about this. He has. Thank you. I I like the way Mr. Schnurrub thinks. Ah. Uh, Anyway, legitimate question. With the Olympics not too far away, what sport are you looking forward to watching that you don't normally watch that doesn't get a run on mainstream TV? And what do you think makes it good to watch? This is a really tough question because really for me, synchronized swimming is probably the only sport that I don't enjoy watching at the Olympics. Yeah, amen. I'm not sure I can commit to just one. So what I'm going to do is I'll give you one for three different categories. Okay. So firstly, one that I'm biased towards is beach volleyball. Now, I've played a lot of this over the years. I know how physically draining playing two-a-side can be. And when you see a top-quality spike, for me, that's one of my absolute favourite things in all sports. Absolutely. My wife and I actually were very fortunate. We got to spend a day watching the FIVB tour while we were visiting some friends in Stavanger in Norway. It's just a great day, a great atmosphere, lots of energetic music, the sun. It's just awesome in general. Now, obviously, it's not going to be quite the same given that there's probably not going to be huge amounts of crowds yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. But it's still a great spectacle to watch. Oh, don't you feel for Japan too? The amount of money that they've pumped into this that they won't recoup. Yep. Oh, it's yeah. It's anyway, sorry. Rate. It's rate. The second category sport I wish Australia played is handball. Ah, uh-huh, yes. Now I, I think I find handball so good to watch because usually there's obviously that strong base in Europe. The rivalries are so intense, especially with the you know the Scandinavian countries. They, they tend to be a, a huge rivalry there. It might be a bit average again because there won't be those raucous crowds in there cheering them on but it's one of those sports i always find myself wondering why i don't watch more of it Mm, okay and then in terms of the new sports i know my answer is supposed to be three on three basketball but (laughs) i'm not fussed about that yeah me neither actually yeah i'll watch a bit but i'm not going to be glued to it i think because we're purists yeah that's exactly i find it it just cheapens the game i agree but what i am actually excited for is the skateboarding I love the whole risk-reward factor, the way that skaters are always pushing the boundaries of what can be achieved. I think this will be a real great spectacle. And following on from that, the, the next Olympics, I'm looking forward to watching the breakdancing. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the Australians won't be there because a few of them just tested positive to COVID in America. Yeah, yeah, so, that's a huge story. So there's some big issues there. But, you know, those are probably the three that I'm really pumped for. How about yourself? I do like watching a bit of the old BMX in that kind of uh, X Games vein. Yep. And I do like the the, the indoor cycling particular. Oh, I like all the cycling, yeah. but I like the indoor cycling too. And also Jess Fox in the uh, slalom, the canoeing. So I think it was, was it, I can't remember, if it, I think it was London where she kind of exploded onto the scene. And of course, she's the daughter of parents who are both former Olympians. So she's got some great pedigree and she exceeded expectations that first Olympics, but now she's a genuine medal threat. So, and then of course the swimming, you know. That, that slalom canoe, though. That, like, oh, it's you, great, isn't it? Yeah. Can you imagine how much strength would go into oh, that? Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. <sighs> and again, if it was on mainstream TV more, I, I might watch it a bit more, actually. But I prefer that, speaking of volleyball, I prefer the indoor volleyball to the beach. I definitely appreciate the difficulty in the beach. 
but I think I like I prefer kind of the longer rallies and more people. Yeah, so okay. I prefer the indoor stuff. No, yeah. that's fair enough. But I'll be watching both. Yeah. And we won't be uh, reliving the Kerry Pothurst and Natalie Cook uh, necessarily as far as Australia is concerned, but we always go all right. We go all right. So thanks very much for the question, Mr. Schnrub, uh, at sportblokes on Twitter or sportblokes at gmail.com for any other mailbag questions. Love it. I just need to remember to check the box more often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we were straddling the playing games when we recorded last week's jury, but there is some news as far as the award season is concerned. We have a sixth man of the year. Yeah, I didn't realise they were announcing this so early. Huh? Well, they kind of, I think they stagger them as the playoffs draw on and on and on, kind of crescendoing in the MVP. So yeah. this is, I guess, one of the lower awards that they kick off with. I thought they could have gone with like sneaker of the year first or something like that. <laughs> or most, I wouldn't be surprised if that exists nowadays. Most but. most exciting headband or something. But <laughs> but no, look, we've got the winner, Jordan Clarkson of the Utah Jazz, ahead of teammate Joe Ingles, Derek Rose in third place. Who did you have winning it? Well, I had Derek Rose, as I mentioned last week, but I think any three of them were worthy winners. It's just the impact that Derek Rose had to lift the Knicks up was really important, in my opinion. But of course, Utah finished first seed so you can understand why those two blokes were on the short list too yeah. and indeed why Jordan Clarkson won look I, I must admit because we didn't get a chance to write them down it's hard to know exactly which way my brain would have gone I think for me it would have been between Clarkson and Rose I, I definitely think Clarkson's numbers were slightly better but you're right Rose definitely had a probably a bigger impact on his team than, than what Clarkson did people tend to treat it as a bit of a scoring award don't they whoever's scoring the most points off the bench and I think that's why Clarkson probably got over the line and that's an interesting point because if you look at the two players' efficiency ratings, Rose actually had a higher PER than what Clarkson did. Yep. And I've always found Clarkson to be a little bit of a selfish player. Oh, totally. He's, More than a little oh, bit. Sugar that was very diplomatic. <laughs> very selfish. But look, he's, I still think he's a worthy winner. The big issue I have is Joe Ingles actually being in consideration for this. How can you have two guys on the same team for six man of the year. It's weird, isn't it? It's pretty unprecedented, I would imagine. Well, Ingles started 30 games. Yeah, okay. So to me, that... I think, of... I think there is a bar that you have to kind of clear to be eligible. So maybe Ingles played just enough on the bench. I think if you're playing 30, half a season. 30 out of your 67 yeah, games, yeah. that is, that's too many. Yeah. So and hey, maybe that's why the voters didn't vote him. Maybe. So the play-ins are done. The yes. playoffs are well and truly underway. Thank God, yes. We'll take our time to analyse the 1-8 and 2-7 matchups this week. We did the 3-6 and 4-5s last week. Yes. But just quickly want to kind of wrap up the play-ins and deliver our verdict on how we feel that went. So yep. I, I guess the quick summary, three out of three absolute fizzers in the East. I don't even want to talk about them. They were that bad. Like if 27, 18 and 27 are your three margins, you're not really onto a winner. Well, hey, you're a tenth seed for a reason, aren't you? Yep, the shock horror. The seven, eight seeds got in. I mean, as it is, I think Washington are what like fifteen less wins than their first round opponent. That's oh, probably more. in the seventy sixes. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it says everything you it, need to it, know. It does. By contrast, though, three absolute crackers in the Western Conference. So. You know, the first one, the Spurs and Grizzlies went down to the wire. It was an absolute blowout at the start. The Grizzlies up 27 to 6, but the Spurs sort of got back into it. And Given the way the Spurs shot, it's a miracle they're in the game, to be honest. DeMar DeRozan had shocking numbers from the field, and Rudy Gay had, as they both had 20 odd, but they both had shocking numbers on, on poor shooting. This game actually felt a lot like that Perth Wildcats Melbourne United game we went to a couple of weeks ago. Ah, okay, yep. yep. So. In this one, obviously, Melbourne United would be the Grizzlies. They get out to a big lead, 
and they just basically held the Spurs at arm's Yeah, at that pay, yeah. They could never get sort of – I mean, they did take the lead a couple of times early in the fourth quarter, but they just kind of held them at bay. And Jonas Valanciunas and Jar Moran made big plays. That's the long and short of it. Valanciunas has some massive, like, 2020 games around playoff time, doesn't he? Well, he actually has three 2020 games this season, which is a tie for first with, I believe it's Andre Drummond, Clint Capella, and one other person. Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, I remember for Toronto, him having a monster game once. I think it was against, I want to say the first year Paul Pierce played played for New Jersey. Were they Brooklyn by then? Brooklyn, yeah. They were Brooklyn by then? Yeah. Yeah. Then we moved on to the Lakers and Golden State Warriors. This was another one where the Warriors jumped out to a massive lead. The Lakers slowly reeled them in. And then they got their Hollywood ending. They did. So LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Dennis Schroeder at one stage were a combined two of 22 from the field. They yeah, were, it was a tale was, of two halves for them, they wasn't were terrible. it? terrible. Particularly LeBron and, and, and AT. The, the thing that kept them in it basically was the turnovers. So the Lakers got 29 points off 20 turnovers from the Warriors. And as you mentioned, yeah, that Hollywood ending, LeBron hits this crazy deep three to With give the Lakers that three-point Nice arc. big arc. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. From a good metre and a half out, yep. So obviously that was a great game to watch and, and something that the league will probably use as the poster for keeping this play in tournament. But but they probably didn't want the Grizzlies. Yes, indeed, indeed. And in the last playing game, the Grizzlies upset the Warriors in OT in, in, OT in yep. Golden State. And it shouldn't have even gone to overtime. Basically, this one, the Grizz nearly cost themselves. About a couple of minutes to go, they're up by five. Desmond Bain gets called for a foul on Jordan Poole, who clearly kicks his leg out on a three-pointer. Oh, you kicked your leg out, I see. Yes. Sorry. So it looked like an obvious challenge. Memphis decided not to. Instead of having the ball up five, Golden State pull within two, they ultimately have a shot to win the game, which thankfully Draymond Green missed. I think the key takeaways for me from this game, though, even though Steph Curry scored 39, Dylan Brooks played some of the best defense I've ever seen. He is that irrational confidence guy. You know how, is that a Bill Simmons-ism? Yep. Irrational confidence. He is like the prototypical, Jordan Clarkson is another one that we just talked about, but he is, he loves the playoffs, doesn't he? I think there might be such a thing as playoff Dylan Brooks. We always talk, talk about playoff Rondo and such. It could well be. The other thing as well with Ja Morant, he showed the sort of stuff that can make him an MVP someday, like, his, oh, it's not out of the question. If he can shoot, not necessarily five of 10 every game, but if he can get that three-pointer up to about 40 42%, consistently hit that, he is going to be unstoppable. His floater game is one of the best in the league. Yep. And, that's and he all, throws a good pass too. Yeah, and that's yep. all he was doing in that game was basically being run off the three-point line, get into the lane, floater from eight to 10 feet, and that's your ball game. Yep. So at the end of this, how do you feel, Nath? Has your opinion changed on the planes? Is it still the same? So going back to what we said at the start of this, I think the league was very happy about the Lakers and Warriors game, but then they were probably shitting themselves a little bit when Memphis won because you can almost guarantee that Golden State would have given Utah a better series than Memphis. But, hey, now that there's been a game that Memphis won, maybe not. So there's that old adage that the playoffs don't begin until the away team loses. Well, we already have four playoff series. We do. Memphis, Dallas, Portland, Atlanta, all one on the road. And the crazy stat that they wheel out every year too, I think it's something like, what, 76.2% of game one winners end up winning the series. So they're big, big wins. Now, you can come back from that, but they're big wins. Look, I still don't like the play-in. I think that it's a shiny new toy. And I think that if we stuck with it, that we're going to get more of the experience like we saw on the east side of the bracket than the west side of the bracket. I think you'd see a lot of Sacramento teams getting smashed and that sort of thing. But one of the things I haven't mentioned yet, and it's not got a lot of run, 
is that it really bothers me that the top seeds find out their opponents later than anyone else. Utah, for their reward for winning more games than any other team in the entire league this season, found out their opponent last. Now they would have been scouting for the Lakers four or teams. Golden State. Yeah, yeah. Four teams so they would have had to they would have had to potentially scout for four teams. They would have put most of their time and energy into the Lakers or Golden State on the balance of probabilities. And oh shit, it's Memphis. So they would have put a bit of time into Memphis, but they would have had to scramble. And how long did they have to game plan Memphis? Well, a couple of days. They lost. So I think it's really unfair. Okay, yes, you have home court advantage. Now, how much of an advantage is it when there aren't as big crowds? Although Utah did have a pretty good loud crowd, but that is an advantage. But I honestly, I think it's really unfair that the top seed would find out their opponent last. I don't think that's good at all. I don't disagree with you on that one. Look, there are politics in the NBA. And if you don't think LeBron's going to be in Adam Silver's ear about this, you're crazy. So, Well, LeBron's on the nose. He, he attended an event that the oh. league has cleared him for any COVID dramas. But I'll tell you what, if that had been a B-grade player, I reckon they would have got suspended. suspended yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I so say I'm kind of on the fence about it. You, based on what we saw, obviously, yeah, the three in the East were an absolute waste of time. The three in the West were probably three of the better games that we've had this season. The big thing for me, though, is when they go back to an 82-game schedule next season, assuming that they do, this is one of those things where you're adding far too many miles to players. Yeah. And, and I just don't see it being the sort of thing that is sustainable over the course of the next 5, 10, 20 years. So, yep. and, it, and I think it cheapens a long season. A one-game elimination cheapens an 82-game season when we're used to seven-game series. I mean, we've had seven-game series in round one for, what, 20-odd years? Yeah. I, I just don't think it's fair. I really don't think it's fair. Already half the league, as I've said before, 16 out of 30 teams make the playoffs. Now we've got 20 out of 30 teams potentially making the playoffs. It's it's just ridiculous. And I think when you consider the fact that the Golden State Warriors, they're a better team than the Washington Wizards. They're a better team than the Boston Celtics. Yep. The fact that they're not making the playoffs, and, and okay, obviously there's going to be some sort of imbalance, but they've worked hard to, with no Clay Thompson, and they've missed James Wiseman for, for a, a long portion, time. Yeah, portion yep. of the season. Yep. They've worked their asses off to get into the top eight, and they miss out off a one-game series, basically. Yep. It's, yeah, I. that's where it is a little bit hard to swallow. So, yeah, look, Adam Silver wants to keep it. I'm hoping like crazy that the teams vote it down. Well, like I say, I think it's a shiny new thing, and it might seem good now, but I think in a few seasons we'll be going, geez, who thought of that? Uh, whoever came up with that should, should be, be yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of the Warriors-Lakers, by the way, Draymond Green pretty much embodied an excellent game without scoring a lot of points. He stuffed the stat sheet but played awesome defense on Anthony Davis too. Well, he's one of the few guys in the league who you would say is a legitimate chance of recording a quadruple-double one of these days. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And it's it would be the points that he's most likely to miss. Well, he did. <laughs> he did that. He got a triple-double without points. Yeah, well, exactly. So yeah. And he's done right. that before too. Mm. Ben Simmons had a similar sort of game, actually. Well, speaking of Ben Simmons, we might as well get, we'll get there now. The, All right, yeah, let's go. We'll get into the one eight. So Philadelphia and Washington. The question's been asked about whether Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can play together. The question's also been asked if Russell Westbrook can play with any superstar. First round exit is a disaster to both of these teams. Who you got? Oh, look, I'm prepared to give the Wizards one. I've got the 76ers in five. It's a fair call. Yeah, I've actually predicted a gentleman's sweep here. Ah, yes, of course. So for anyone who who doesn't know what that is, Philadelphia winning games one through three, Washington taking game four, and then Philly closing it out in five. There you go. And we did post our our tips prior to the games being played on Twitter, as we said we would. Yep. Already 1-0 to the 76ers. 
So Ben Simmons had an amazing game, six points, 15 rebounds, 15 assists. He kept Bradley Beal to one of six with three turnovers when he was guarding him. Now, all the people were going off saying, oh, he doesn't score enough points. Oh. But the only players with 15 assists and 15 rebounds or more in a playoff game, Ben Simmons, LeBron, Jason Kidd, Magic Johnson, and Fat Lever. He comes up in a lot of those. He does come up that people forget about him from the yeah, 80s he's playing for the Nuggets. Stat stuffer. Yeah. Yep. But it was really funny. Like I saw on Twitter, someone go, oh, yeah, but how many did Magic score in his game? And the answer was, Two points. And they're like, well, you got oh, shot down quick. That's real. I would have expected Magic to have more than that. Yeah. That, is, that yeah. is such a good one. But again, another perfect example that scoring isn't everything and you can really dominate a game without putting a hell of a lot of points on the board. Yep. And of course, that was done by his other Max uh, contract teammates. Well, exactly right. And it's, it's so funny you say that because when I was preparing for this, I was looking at the supporting cast. For me, that was the important factor in why I think Philadelphia will win this series fairly comfortably. So if you look at, obviously, Westbrook and Beal, you kind of know what you're going to get. Beal's a little bit banged up, so he's going to be maybe not quite where he would be ordinarily. Yeah, but, yep. And you know what you're going to get mostly from Ben Simmons and for a large part what you'll get from Embiid. But the third best player on each team, I feel like Tobias Harris has something to prove. Absolutely. Yeah. 37 in game one. Maybe Ben Simmons is the third best player on this team. It's hard to know. Oh, with his defense, <laughs> I think he's the second best. But who's the third best player on Washington's team? Oh, God. It's Daniel Gafford right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's absolutely... Or Hachimura, best. maybe. Hachimura's been yeah. up and down. Bertans Bertans has been up and down, he yeah. He broke out of a slump. I mean, he was yeah. 2 of 13 from three. Yeah, he had a shocking playing game. He yeah. was shocking. So yeah. so, yeah, for me... If you couple all of that with the fact that Washington shot 55% from the field in game one and, and they still, still got lost. Blown out. Yeah. Uh, look, a lot of it comes down to a couple of things that happened in, in the, the last minutes of the game. In fact, probably the key thing was that out of bounds call on Russell Westbrook. His heel clipped the Just, line. yeah, I think it was just out. But it's fucking close. But you're coming down the court, down five with 40 yeah. seconds to go. I mean, that's yeah. a big possession. So, oh, yeah. So, look, it's going to be a fun series. I really am enjoying what's happened already, and I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Now, the number two seed, Brooklyn, taking on the number seven seed, Boston. The biggest of big threes in a series, which was supposed to pit them against Boston's slightly less big three, but no Jalen Brown puts a huge amount of pressure on Jason oh, yeah. Tatum. And yeah, yeah. Campbell Walker, who yeah, you got? big time. Obviously. Again, gentlemen sweep. I'll, I'll give Boston one, Brooklyn in five. Yeah, I'm the same. Brown and Walker are probably enough to get them one. But yeah, when you've arguably and they played okay in game one. Oh, they they did for the first half. Yeah, yeah. Well, they only lost by ten. Like it's, I, I was pretty impressed with their effort. You know, game one. The reason they lost by ten in game one was because of Grant Williams. Yes, the third. He was phenomenal. He, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got a diamond in the rough there potentially. Franchise playoff record nine blocks. Now, yeah. admittedly, Bill Russell would have had more than that, but they didn't keep stats yes, back then. Yes, true. But yeah, 11 points, nine rebounds. Without his defense, that would have been a blowout. Mm. So yeah, I'm I'm not even sure that Boston gets one, but you kind of give them one because of the sort of players they have. If you look at how this game was going though, at one stage, Boston were nine of 17 from three compared to one of 11 from Brooklyn. Wow, okay. And they still ran over the top of them because you've got arguably three of the 10 best players in the world. Oh, yeah. Look, it probably should be a sweep. The only reason I'm giving Boston one is because of the excellent performance that Jason Tatum had. There is a real thing as playoff Jason Tatum. I think he might have one of those breakout games. Yeah. Fun fact about this series, Jeff Green played in the playoffs for his seventh team. Yeah, right. Ties in with Nazi Muhammad and James Edwards for the most in NBA history. 
It's funny you say that, Stuart, because I remember last year when we were doing bold predictions for our NBA playoff shows, and one of mine was Jeff Green will bob up and have a great game because he always seems to have at least one great game in the playoffs. He doesn't. That can be a standing item. He doesn't need to. Yeah, I, and I don't think it made the cut in the end. Uh, I don't think we actually got it in the episode because we had to uh, shave it down like we always do. But, uh, yeah, that will be a prediction for me this playoffs. Okay. So if we move out west the one seed Utah taking on the eight seed Memphis Grizzlies. Now we've already alluded to the fact that game one has been and gone Memphis with an absolute shocker. They, uh, they came in and shocked the world and smashed Utah on their home court. Well, again, Utah had very little time to prepare for them. They probably weren't expecting them. And it's funny when you can have a really long layoff, that can be a danger game when you've been off for a week. So how's this Utah have lost six straight playoff game ones. They're the second franchise with multiple game one losses in a 1v8 matchup. Huh. That's not the right side of history it's, to be on. It's not. But look, you can sum this up in three words. No Donovan Mitchell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the trainers kept him out, which he was none too pleased about, apparently. Mm. He'll be back for game two, I can almost guarantee. And look, I'm sure if we both knew he was going to miss, we might have changed our tips accordingly a little. That's a big out. He's their best player. Yeah. The thing is, though, this game one comes down to just really poor ball control. If you look at the amount of turnovers that Utah had, Kyle Anderson had six steals. Yes. And he's one of the slowest players in the world. Yeah, oh, that slow-mo layup he did. Like, oh, It was a good game. It was. And and Bogdanovich did his best to keep Utah in it too. They, yeah. had no, they had no right to be in it at the end and to lose by as little as they did. But he played really well down the stretch. Memphis took 19 more shots than them. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. You know, and, and to still only lose by three. Utah, who were probably the best three-point shooting team in the entire association. Oh, definitely. They broke records with 10 less games. They shot 25% from deep. Yeah. That's not going to happen very often. No, no. So, yeah. That's the the scraping off the rust game. Absolutely. So, yeah, I I think it's they're going to be close games. Memphis is a team that you're not going to blow out very often, but Utah should still come out on time. I'm still confident they'll win it in five. Yeah, I had Utah in five too. And look, I haven't seen a hell of a lot of Memphis this season, to be honest. And Dylan Brooks, wow. It's grit and grind 2.0. Justice Winslow doesn't even get a game with this team. No, Brandon Clark doesn't get yeah. a game right now. I mean, they, they have some decent guys on the bench. So, yeah, they'll be a scrappy team and they'll be all the better for it. Yeah, and look, guys like Desmond Bain, Grayson Allen was superb off the bench in the play-in games and he and he all, will always play a part in, yep. in these games. So yep. they've got guys that can come in. Xavier Tillman's another one. He was superb against Golden State. I think this is probably going to be one of the more fun one versus eights. It's kind of like the Memphis-San Antonio one. Sorry to bring it up. Oh, you know. But you At know, least that was a legitimate eight seed. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Now, the other series, the number two seed Phoenix Suns taking on the number seven LA Lakers. Again, one of the coolest first rounders you'll ever see. Defending champions versus the drought breakers. Chris Paul versus LeBron. Who you got? Well, not just Chris Paul. DeAndre Ayton was the second player in postseason history with 20 points, 15 rebounds on 90% shooting. The only other guy to do it was Bill Russell in game two of the 1965 NBA finals against the Lakers. You may have heard of him. Reasonable player. Yeah, yeah. Has a couple of rings. And I look, I really like DeAndre Ayton. He has great footwork. He is a, a really good center down low. I've got the Lakers in six. Nothing would surprise me about this series. Yeah, I've actually got it the other way. I've got Phoenix winning this in six. Yeah, gutsy. The only thing that I think will get the Lakers across the line is an injury to either Chris Paul or Devin Booker. Now, Paul did actually hurt his shoulder in game one. It looks like it's okay and he will play in game two. But Booker had 34 and on playoff debut, a Suns record as well. Yes, 
for Dabu, that is. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I just think their role players are playing at a much higher level. And I, I kind of wanted to quickly just outline the Chris Paul effect. And it's something that gets lost in the annals of history. The season before he arrived with the Hornets, they were 18 and 64. His rookie season, they improved by 20 wins. Yeah. The Clippers were 32 and 50 the season before Paul arrived, 40 and 26 the season he moved. So their percentage went up massively. The Rockets and Thunder were already great teams and he improved both of those. I mean, OKC was supposed to tank when they got him after they lost Westbrook and Paul George. And they made the playoffs and took Houston to some pretty scary places. And they still improved as well. Yeah. And now he's led the Suns from a sub-500 record to a team that sits second in the West. I mean, this this is a, a really great team. And one thing I will mention that I mentioned last week, Jay Crowder, he is huge. He didn't do much in the box scoring game one, but his D on LeBron James was a huge part of why he only had 18 and why Phoenix got the win. So, and as we said last week, a huge reason why Miami was so good in the playoffs last season. Yeah, so I think he is one of the most valuable players that doesn't really fill up the box score that much. So, yeah, I think this is going to be a cracking series. And I'm going to give you a quote from the famous sport bloke, Nathan, who said, the best time to catch the Lakers is early. I do firmly believe that. It's not a terrible pick. It wouldn't surprise me. Hey, they won game one. I think the Lakers will be pretty fatigued. Hmm. And I think the Grizzlies will be fatigued too, which is another reason why I could easily see Utah winning out from here. Yeah, fatigue will play a part. I think we probably have to do our picks for the championships, Stewie. I hate to say it, but I think Brooklyn. Yeah, okay. I, I think Brooklyn. I, I just think... Who you got them beating? Uh, oh, geez, Memphis. No, <laughs> no look, honestly, I, I don't know. I, I would love to see something like Brooklyn and Dallas. Wow, yeah, okay. I don't see it happening, but no, I think well, that would be an absolute cracker. Yeah. But you've got to look at them. I mean, the top seeds, Phoenix could get there. The Clippers are already down. Denver are already down. As we anticipated. So Without Murray. Yeah. It's, if they had Murray, I would have picked Denver. It's really hard to know. Yeah. And I'm going to take the 76ers. Okay. They didn't go as far as they should have last playoffs, so they're much more rested. I will pick them over the Lakers. I'll pick the 76ers over the Lakers. Ooh, double down. 1983, on. hey? I think the fatigue will bite the Lakers in the ass eventually. I think they probably will get to the finals, but I like the 76ers over. Okay, interesting. Yep, doubling down. So we'll race through the NBL this week, Stewie, which is a bit of a cop-out, but we'll definitely uh, ramp it up heading into playoff time, which is not far away at all. Melbourne have locked up the one seed. Perth have locked up the two seed and the 35th consecutive final appearance. Third and fourth is still being jostled a little. And, geez, we get some weird things. So Brisbane beat Perth in an impressive game and then absolutely shut the bed to southeast Melbourne. But the big news is Bryce Cotton is out for the rest of the regular season and possibly the rest of the season altogether. Yeah, look, the scary thing for me when reading about this, and not just as a Perth fan, but obviously as a basketball fan, is when you see that he'll be reevaluated in two weeks. Yep. And while Trev said... We are preparing for him not to return. And I think that probably says a lot more than anything, really. Yeah. If if your coach is preparing for it, it means that there is a real, real likelihood that Bryce Cotton is done for the season. Yep. Which, look, it doesn't necessarily guarantee that the Wildcats won't win, but it will be... Uh, I I think it pretty much sets the table for an all-Melbourne final series. 
which would be cool. Yeah, yeah well, it would. It it's would been be a very, long time since that happened. And, and South <laughs> the early 90s. Well, South East Melbourne would be a bloody good chance of beating them. Yeah, well, they're in good, red hot form. I dare say they're a better chance of beating Melbourne United than we are. Well, maybe. Well, definitely without Bryce. Yeah. Yeah. But this is obviously a huge concern for the Wildcats. And yeah, it would be disappointing to see a three-peat go up in flames because of an injury. Yes, but some would say the three-peats wouldn't be legit anyway because of what happened last season with COVID. So. A two and an asterisk, Pete. Well, yeah. If you will. Back-to-back asterisk seasons, let's face it. Yeah. But look, we've got some pretty big games coming up in the next week, and I think we'll probably know almost certainly who will be the three and four seed by the time we record next week, and we'll report on that when it happens. And it'll be a great final series. Absolutely looking forward to it. It's really going to change Perth's game plan, though, because... Blanchfield had been rested. Cotton had been rested. You could just see Mooney being rested next, but now they probably can't afford to. The weird thing I found in that last game was that Magne didn't get nearly as much court time, so they're still trying to work him in too, which is which is tricky. So, yeah, it's interesting times. The, the Wildcats will be ripe for the picking in round one. Mm-hmm. And now, this week in sport history. May 25th, 1935, legendary American athlete Jesse Owens equaled or broke four world records in 45 minutes at a Big Ten meet in Ferryfield in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in what is now remembered as the greatest 45 minutes ever in sport. Of course, what adds to the mystique of it all is that he did it with a sore back after falling downstairs five days earlier. In the 100-yard dash, more than half of the race judges clocked him at 9.3 seconds, which would have broken the record, but the rule stipulated that he would have been given the slowest time with 9.4 to tie the existing mark. 10 minutes later, he needed just one jump to break the long jump record by more than half a foot. Nine minutes after that, he beat the 220-yard dash record by three-tenths of a second and was also credited with the world record for the 200-yard straightaway dash. Finally, 26 minutes later, he became the first man to go under 23 seconds in the 220-yard low hurdle dash and was also credited with the 200-metre hurdle record as well. So technically, he actually equaled or broke six records in 45 minutes. Nuts. Not a bad hour's work. Not bad at all. May 26, 1983, a lot of fun free-throw-related ones recently. I must say. <laughs> we are around playoff time. The LA Lakers set an NBA playoff game record for the fewest free-throws taken with just five. Wow. As the Philadelphia 76ers would take 32 as part of a 103 to 93 win in game two of the finals. The Sixers would win the series 4 0 as they went 12 and 1 in the finals, a record since broken by the 2000 2001 Lakers, who went 15 and 1, and then the 2016 17 Warriors, who went 16 and 1. May 27th, 1984, Manuela Maliva of Bulgaria wins three singles matches in one day of the Italian Open. Her first scalp was Virgin Rosici, followed by Carling Bassett, but she saved her best for last, defeating Chris Evert 6-3, 6-3 in the final, in the process becoming just the seventh player to beat Evert on clay. Truly astounding when you consider how tough those matches are. Manuela had two sisters named Katerina and Magdalena, and together, and we love a punny name, the three of them were known as the Unbelievable Sisters. Oh, God. <laughs> Even as a dad, that is stretching it. (laughs) May 28th, 1912, Australian leg spinner Jimmy Matthews takes two hat-tricks on the same day in a test match against South Africa. Fair effort. In different innings as well. He knocked off the last three wickets of South Africa's first innings and the Australians enforced the follow-on. Matthews then took the sixth, seventh and eighth wickets in the second innings as South Africa was rolled for 95. Fantastic. Interestingly, though, wicketkeeper Tommy Ward was the third player dismissed in each hat-trick. 
Mm. Bagging him a king pair. Oy, not so good. Pretty rare, those ones. May 30th, 1922, the Chicago Cubs and Arizona Cardinals face off in a Memorial Day doubleheader. Now, this would normally be fairly unremarkable, but after playing out the morning game, Cubs manager Billy Killifer and Branch Rickey of the Cardinals agreed to send outfielder Max Flack from Chicago to Arizona and center fielder Cliff Heathcote from Arizona to Chicago. Both men would play in the second game for their new teams, meaning that they played for both teams in a doubleheader on the same day. Flack was seen as a solution to the Cardinals who are in a win-now mode, but would only play four relatively ineffective seasons for the Cards, while Heathcote and -and up-and-comer played eight really good seasons for the Cubs and helped them reach the 1929 World Series. This week in sport history. So, sure, we always kick off our AFL with tipping. I had a six this week. Yeah, we had the same tips again this week. Uh, so we? yes. Pretty boring, unfortunately. Yes. So, the Saturday curse hit me again. I had Melbourne beating Adelaide by 37, and unfortunately, Adelaide got up and won that one. And I had mm, Sydney. We'll beat, talk about that. Yeah, and I had Sydney beating Fremantle. And unfortunately, West Coast did their stupid away from home crap. <sighs> and I should have followed my rule. Don't pick the Eagles away from home unless they're playing someone really shit. Yep. But I thought the Toby Green injury was going to be enough to that get him over. That was the only reason I tipped him. Yeah, me, me too, me too. It's Honestly, for me, it's like a hole-in-one now. I step up to every par three when I play golf thinking, this is going to be that elusive hole-in-one hole. <laughs> every round, I think, this is going to be the elusive nine out of nine. Oh, and I never feel that. I'm actually more likely to get a hole-in-one. Yeah, I'm think. happy with six or more every week. Yeah. I'm never expecting nine, that's for sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> after the first three, I thought, ooh, we're in with a chance here. Now, we didn't talk about this in the basketball, but it is affecting multiple sports. There's some shit going on in Melbourne with COVID and the doggies are all in quarantine because a staffer went to a site that was deemed a potential infection zone. Yeah, look, this is a fairly breaking story. It just sort of happened this afternoon. So we don't really have a whole heap of information, but what it does do potentially is throw Friday night footy into a bit of chaos. Oh, I know. And it's the game we've been waiting for for many weeks. It is the dog's. And the D's. And the D's. Mm. So, yeah, look, we'll have to kind of watch how this plays out. But with the whole team in lockdown now, this is, yeah, a bit of a shit show now. Hopefully it just means that there'll be no crowds. And the game will still go ahead. That's the best we can hope for, I would suggest, at this stage. So, yeah, we'll see how that all goes. Indeed. Who's your tip if it does happen? Oh, in lockdown, you'd still have to go the the Bulldogs. Yeah, at this stage, I've got the Dogs. They're playing better footy right now. Yeah, I'll look at the lists, but at this stage, I've got the Dogs. Yeah. Now, we've kind of mentioned this a few weeks in a row now, Stewie. Brisbane looking better and better with every run. Yeah, they just keep going from strength to strength. They handle Richmond by 28 points. You'd say thanks largely to a four-goal to one-third quarter. Brisbane's mids were just superb again, and they continue to be in the absence of Lockie Neal. All of a sudden, they kind of look like genuine premiership contenders. Oh, absolutely. Several weeks ago, they were looking a bit iffy. Yeah, they started slow. And they're actually starting to get really great production up front from Eric Hipwood. He kicked four goals straight. All of a sudden, he's a dead-eyed dick. 21 goals, nine this season. Yeah, I'm good on him. After being basically... He was training in the offseason. Yeah, basically, he was 50-50 the last couple of years. And you sort of thought, oh, what sort of forwards are you going to be? And yeah, he's been superb. And guys like McCluggage were already very good, but it looks like he's taken the next step too. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're red hot. Their midfield is right up there with the Western With the Bulldogs. dogs, yeah. Yep. yep. But how's this for an eerie stat? 20 years ago... So we go back to 2001. The Brisbane Lions were coming off two years where they'd lost in a prelim and a semi-final. Oh, okay. What happened the last two years with Brisbane? Yeah. They lost in a prelim and a semi-final. Yeah, sure. One of them was uh, a grand final that could have been at home, which is a golden opportunity blown that they didn't have in 01. I see where you're going, though. But they line up. In 2001, 
they started the year one and three. Mm. What was their record after four rounds this year? One and three. One and three. In round 10 of 2001, they beat the defending champions, Essendon. Essendon, yeah. They kicked 15 goals, 12, and beat them 102 to 74. Round 10, 2021, they kicked 15 goals, 12, and beat the reigning premiers, Richmond, Richmond. 102 to 74. Wow. I love those Brisbane teams. They were so they're probably the best teams of all time. And they won the next three premierships. Yeah. So wow. based on that stat, yeah. Brisbane for the premiers. Yeah, okay. Is well, we have some competing stats because we've got Melbourne for premiers because every time they've started nine and oh, they've been well, premiers. One of, them's we have, one of them's got to give, yeah. But that is how crazy is that? That's nuts. I, I love these weird oh, anomalies. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Just quickly, though, a lot of whinging from Damien Hardwick about the free kicks at halftime. They were down 21 to six in the free kick count, Richmond, which, look, it was probably fairly accurate. There were a few iffy ones in there, but geez, it's hard to be that far out. He probably had a point there. He probably did. Maybe not so much about Marvel. Well, no, we won't, we won't go into that. <laughs> but no, look, great to see Brisbane continue that resurgence and look, great to see Richmond being challenged. I think this is going to be a really... Well, they're out of the eight now. Yeah, it's going to be a really impressive run for them to get back to... GWS have jumped them. Yep. So we get to see what this Richmond team is really made of. Now I'm going to use that phrase. We've buried the lead, Stewie. Some really shitty and weird umpiring and match review stuff we've got to discuss. Should we talk about the game just quickly before we... Well, get... the shitty umpiring was in the Adelaide-Melbourne upset. Yes, we should. So, look, first things first, the Demons have finally been toppled. The Crows of all teams, not certainly not the team you'd have expected to... No, but they have been better this season than many would have expected. So, a lot of credit goes to Taylor Walker. He was huge. Two massive fourth-quarter goals, including the game winner with less than a minute to go. Paul Seedsman was huge, 35 touches and a goal. Ben Keyes, two goals and 34 touches. Adelaide did a really great job with the kick mark game. It's something Melbourne loved to do where they possessed the ball for long periods of time. And when they got that opportunity to basically run it through the corridor, that's exactly what Adelaide did. So this might be the new game plan to beat the Demons. Mm. For the Demons, obviously, the, the usual suspects, but Clayton Oliver was best on ground. His great season continues. 38 touches, 14 clearances and three goals. Yeah, that's magnificent. But as you alluded to, this was well and truly marred by two very horrendous decisions, in my opinion that went against the Ds and probably cost them the four points. Yeah, and 10-0 and in the process. So the first one happened with about oh, about a minute and a half to go. Ball's come inside, forward 50. Ben Keyes got a, a pretty decent run onto a loose ball, ran about 10 metres the wrong way, was tackled and spun a full 360 degrees. And in my opinion, I think he got the ball disposed of incorrectly. You think slightly- I thought he might have got a handball away. That one was a little bit of a line ball one, kind of... To be expected. Had it been in Melbourne, they probably would have called ball. For me, the fact that he's been spun the full 360. Yeah, yeah. That's probably. I I certainly wouldn't have been disappointed if it had been called ball. Yeah. It was a bit closer than the next one we're about to talk about. The big one. So. Well, can we recreate it? Well, we can, yeah, because it actually created probably the greatest soundbite in (laughs) in the AFL since Brian Taylor's. Both kicked a goal from the center square. Fuck. So to set the scene, the ball's gone inside forward 50. Cozzy Pickett's dropped a mark. That he should have taken, it's got to be said. And it's fallen to Nick Murray, who has basically delivered a 10-metre hand pass to the sideline. I just missed it going through for a behind, which would have tied scores up too, by the way. And he had Duday just behind him too, so he doesn't have the plausible deniability that he was trying to get it to Duday. But sure enough, Huddo's, what's the call? What's the call? Deliberate. Throw it in. Oh! 
<laughs> superb. Oh, gold. Absolute gold. This is one of the most egregious decisions. Uh, you and I rewatched that last two minutes about five or six times tonight. And it's, so, it's so funny listening to Gary Lyon and uh, the Chief and Hutto talk about it and how dumbfounded they were. That uh, This yeah. is another one where, yeah, had it been being played in Melbourne, absolutely it gets paid. Yeah, yeah. But, geez, to, to not have the, the balls to make that decision by the umpire is incredibly disappointing. You, the other thing I guess that this does, the AFL have had to come out and confirm the third game this season that's effectively been cost by an umpire. Yeah. So we had Brisbane-Geelong with the non-holding the ball. Against Blitzabs. Blitzabs, yeah. Blitz yeah. And then obviously we had the, the Swans and Geelong where Jeremy, Jeremy Cameron, Cameron the 20-metre mark, yep. yep. Well, 21 points. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. give or take. <laughs> and then this one. But, so this is three games that finals-bound teams have potentially been robbed of four points on. And you have to think that he would have at least kicked a point, whoever did get the kick. So it would have at least been a draw, but probably a 10th straight win. But there was enough time on that to run around. So that's Yeah, the yeah, well, that's true. Difference with the Jeremy Cameron. one, yeah, yep. My question to you is, obviously, aside from the fact of how shit are the umpires, mm. should the league be addressing this during the week it, like the only thing that this does is more harm because the umpires are already, they're already already knowing that they're going to cop a lot of grief. But if the AFL comes out and says, yeah, they're wrong, people like us then spend all week discussing it. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I think, I don't know. I think they have to acknowledge when they're wrong. I know it's not great for the fan bases, but at mm -hmm. least, I don't know. If, if I put myself in the shoes of a Melbourne fan, I'd feel a little bit vindicated when I hear them say that it was the wrong call. I would look at the ladder and go, I'm not vindicated at all. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure, sure. I still see a loss that we shouldn't have. Yeah, well, they've dropped down to second already because of that loss. The dog's percentage is fantastic. It's like 168 or something. I mean, it? thankfully, they've got a little bit of distance on third place. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But, There's a clear top two. But, yeah, the, the umpiring at the moment is it's really problematic. Now, we're not going to talk about the West Coast and GWS game, but I thought this was one of the worst officiated games I've seen. And I'm not just talking for us. I'm talking for both teams. Multiple blatant misthrows from, from both teams. Guys being tackled in the back and ridden square into the ground, being pinked for holding the ball. The, the second goal for GWS was a second player coming in, hitting the back, and then hitting the guy around the, around the, the shoulder and the neck and the player being pinged for holding the ball. There's so many of these. Oh, there were some head scratches at the game I was at too. Buddy kicked six, but one or maybe even two of them were maybe given to him. I saw Fremantle supporters saying four. But... Oh, no, not four. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But no, it's... Enjoy your win for our supporters. Fuck it, it, it definitely has become a bit it, of an ugly spectacle. Yeah, tomorrow. yeah. And it really takes us on straight away to the next part, which is the match, match review, review panel, yeah. Which... I mean, we've had two, lost of, their minds. two of the worst decisions I've seen from them in a long time. Oh. Thankfully, at least on one. Cool, yes, news just a hand. Cooler heads have Yeah, prevailed. yeah, one's been overturned. So the Nick Holman one. So he plays for the Gold Coast Suns. He has landed what is absolutely the perfect tackle against Mitch Duncan. Oh, the, the, the rundown tackles are one of the great things in our game. Yep. You know, the crowd gets louder and louder. The player, does he know if someone's behind him bearing down or not? Yep. And sure, it ended in a concussion, and that's what has led to initially a two-week suspension being handed down. But it's a part of the game, like I said, and it is a contact sport. There will be incidental dramas. You have to live with it. So listening to Jared Waitley on AFL 360, he has summed this up absolutely perfectly. No sling, no dump, no spin, no second action to hurt, 
one arm pinned, but only one arm. And they paid holding the ball. Not unreasonable in the circumstances, not unnecessary force, no breach of duty of care. And as you said, holding the ball. Yeah. How can, like it, how, yeah. How can it be holding the ball, but also a reportable? Yeah. It makes no sense. Sorry to cut into your list there. No. I didn't realize it was that long. No, but it's more. Sorry, Jared. Too. Because there's so many things. Yeah. That, that yeah. Well, that's, that's very succinct. Make this yeah. the perfect tackle. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm standing next to you and I prod you in the arm and you fall over and get concussed, I'm LeBron James. Well, yes, you are. LeBron. I'm a European soccer player. No. You, yeah. all, all of the above. But would I get two weeks for that? Oh, no. Hell no. Of you course wouldn't. not. No. So no. why why is it again? Yeah, it can't be about the outcome. They're looking about that. It is a contact sport, and this is the problem. Yeah, all, all that the AFL does is look at the outcome, and I've been harping on about this for years. They do not look at the intent. No, they do it's not. All, look, it's got to be about intent. Absolutely. Well, it has to be a little bit of both. I mean, you can look at the intent. You can look at, I, I guess, some of the result, but you've got to use. Well, I think I think the sense. outcome's important when there's malicious intent. Yes, this isn't malicious intent. His intent was to lay a bloody good tackle, which is exactly what he did. And he was, he was rewarded for it, as he should have been. And the Thankfully, th- wiser heads And the thing is, Marlon Pickett got a week for a swinging clothesline. So basically what they're saying is that that, a perfect tackle, is twice as bad as a swinging clothesline. And I'm not even convinced Pickett should have got done either, to be honest. It was very unruly and it was yeah, undisciplined. It was stupid. It, it was, was stupid. Yeah. And it was a 30-point game at the time from memory. But well, it was frustration because yeah, it hit, was. It was pure frustration. Yeah, 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 he did. They missed one. You're right. You're right. Now the other one relates to Lockie Plowman and his hit on Jaeger Amira. A defender coming in basically off his man to spoil a mark. Fist was up to spoil. He basically hit him shoulder to shoulder and put him to the ground. I think they've been watching this one in slow motion too much. Hmm. This was a bang bang play. Yep. He did not have any malicious intent. In fact, I actually feel like he might have tried to pull out a little bit, but it was just so quick. Yeah. Split second stuff. Yeah. I don't think he should have got done. So basically, we're telling guys, don't tackle and don't try and spoil. Yeah. So this just sends the wrong message to anyone playing defense. And look what happened with St. Kilda. They didn't tackle at all last week. We talked about the lack of holding the balls. Well, that's right. St. Kilda stopped tackling this week and got beat by over 100. Yep. It's going to happen to more teams. This is a, a worrying, worrying trend. Mm. Now, Nath, we're going to talk about the game that you went to next. The Dockers managed to get over the line 86-84. Thanks to oh, it's a cracker of a Matt game. Fife actually hitting the target Yeah, he once. actually got a goal, yeah. But, I still think he's like three goals, 18, with a few out, outs on the full. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, geez, he kicked it when it counted. But look, that's what champions do. Oh, yeah, and he played superbly well. Yeah. And I've got to say, the eye test at the ground, and granted we're in the – nosebleeds but I actually like being really high up because you can see the whole field and you can see the action his impact on the game was better when I looked at the stats than what I expected but yeah him and Buddy great performances I'd love to know the combined distance on Buddy's goals because he had some absolute roosts huge he loves Optus there's a loves- few people pointing out though that his distance has dropped quite considerably in the last few years well he's, he's getting on mate he's towards the end yeah he still banged one from like 60 out Dustin Fletcher could kick him further when he was 39. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous comparison. Yeah, pretty much. He's not that far coming off injury too, in fairness. No, that, that is fair. Well, I think probably the most disappointing thing for me as someone who was barracking for the Swans because I tipped them, yes. did want them to win, yep. was the lack of composure from Ollie Florent. Now, I did mention last season that I thought he had the potential to be an All-Australian. You'd think that he's 
getting there. Oh, he's, he's had a very good season. And I thought he played a pretty good game for the most part. It's just one of those decision-making in late-game situations. It's very high pressure. So he's running towards the 50. There's about 30 seconds left in the game. And here I'm thinking, oh, we're going to jag this. And he's made the decision to kick to Tom Papley in a two-on-one where really he's got pretty much no chance. Yeah, he was much closer to goal, but ball, he had other options. Ball gets punched through. Yeah. But then if you look at the footage... You've got Isaac Heaney and Will Hayward yeah. about 35, 40 metres out with no one within maybe 10 metres of them. So And Heaney in particular is no slouch in front of goal. So, mm. yeah. But look, when you think about it, Fremantle had 24 more inside 50s, 29 more hitouts, 23 more marks, 10 more contested marks, and seven more free kicks. It's a miracle the Swans were in the game when you look at those numbers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it was a seesawing effort. And the, the extra... Got shots on goal, said it all too. And and had Freo lost, once again, it would have been because of their inaccuracy, but they did get over the line. Yep. And then finally, sure, you're up to prison bar, what, round four? <laughs> yeah, pretty Where much. are we? Look, we don't, Getting a bit old. we don't want to talk about this game because it was good, because it wasn't. It was a pretty average game. Collingwood seemed to think they only need to play one quarter. And it nearly got them over the line. Yeah, I know, right? This is this is how bad Port Adelaide are playing. <laughs> so right against now. us last week, they only had one goal after quarter time. And they started gangbusters against Port and thought, oh, maybe another upset brewing. But no, Port ran them over and Dane Swan is shaking his head as a result. Yeah, we'll get to There's the, so much to unpack. We'll get to the Dane Swan tweet in a second. Really average game of football. And look, if Collingwood had a slightly ballsier attacking game plan, they would have won this game easily. You can't hold a side to one point in the first quarter and lose a game. So this is crazy. I've picked up the phone to read out a stat and I've found out that it was a positive case at this game, which is not good at all. No, it is not. Shree, this was only the 119th case in VFL-AFL history where a team scoring one point in the first term ended up winning the game, and that was, of course, the power. And the thing is, if you go way back into VFL history, a lot of these games would have been three to one at quarter time, so it's not exactly a, a really big deal for them to win it. So that 119 actually is probably a lot more significant than a lot. Oh, it's a, it's a very rare occurrence indeed. But the other thing as well, if you look at players like Jordan Degoe, you know, he's a quality player. Nine touches, no goals. Oh, that's that's so typical of Degoe. He'll kick five one week and then he'll do nothing the next three. Brody Majacek, 11 touches, zero goals. Scott Pendlebury and Steel Sidebottom. I mean, we're not used to them playing this level of football. And, and when I say that, this lower level of football. Mm. So, Well, they're getting on. They are. But yes, we need to talk about Dane Swan quickly. So as we mentioned, Port only kicked one behind in the first quarter. And along the way, he tweeted, is one point good in a quarter of footy? Asking for a lot of friends of mine from South Australia. After the game, the Port Adelaide Football Club Twitter account simply responded with handy point. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Great trolling. Really, really good. Speaking of trolling, you've got to laugh at the banner. So Collingwood had, is black and white ours? Without a doubt, yes. Stick to wearing teal and wrecking in excess. So I think one all on points. Uh, never tear us apart. Yep. And just quickly, we have to finish this off with something really positive. We've obviously spoken about the bar wars and all this bullshit that's going on between Koshi and Eddie Maguire. Isn't it amazing how some people can give us perspective sometimes? So, so Douglas Nichols' round's coming up, and the Port Adelaide strip was said to have been created by a 17-year-old student from the club's Aboriginal Power Cup. However... Oh, yes. It was confirmed on Friday that the design was actually plagiarised from the work of L. Campbell as part of NAIDOC Week in 2019. And if you saw the picture of the submission, it was plagiarised. I think it was like a dead rip-off. I don't think it was even close. I think it was like a picture of the print. 
But here's the thing. Instead of being an uppity twat like Eddie Maguire, Campbell confirmed that she wanted the players to wear it with great pride, saying, and I quote, Sir Douglas Nichols' round is important to me and my people, and I know it means a lot to Port Adelaide. I don't want to take anything away from the club or the Indigenous players representing the club. Perfect. Oh, you couldn't have had a classier response. It is just perfect. And I tell you what... And sales donations will be going towards Indigenous communities. So it's really good. I dare say a lot of people around the AFL need to take heed of this. Around society. Yeah. Last very quick question for you, Nath. Marcus Bontempelli, four goals, 26 touches, six tackles, eight inside 50s. Is he officially the best player in the competition? Oh, he's right up there. He's top three and he'd be very close to leading the Brownlow at the moment too. I've got him leading the comp. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week belongs to the Liga de Football Profesional Boliviano and one of the more amateur things you're likely to see on a football field. Now, this does go back to the 9th of May, so I do apologise. I'm using the statute of limitations uh, on this yes. one. Okay. But when I saw this, it was so crazy I had to share it. Now, COVID has well and truly worked its way through Bolivia. They've had 350,000 cases and nearly 14,000 deaths from a population of less than 12 million. So it's little surprise that some of the football teams have been hit. And in the case of Royal Paris, it got so bad recently that they had 11 players out with the virus and they were only able to field seven players. That's nuts. And almost all of them were from the youth team. Wow. To make matters worse, this was against a side ominously called the strongest. (laughs) Uh, by name and nature by name and nature it took just eight minutes before the strongest led three nil eight minutes and mercifully when defender kevin royas went down injured the game was called off but imagine an afl game starting with one team having 12 players it's it's nuts i don't know if that's completely proportional well, oh, well, it's close. It's, close. it's close. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. pretty close. And the th- oh, look, it's, it is it is nuts. There's no other way to describe it, is there? I mean, every other league is postponing games here and yep. there. Why couldn't they? They just went, no, the, the strongest decided. Oh, the strongest. Answer, yeah. Maybe they're the Collingwood of uh, this. It's all about the strongest. Bolivia. So for COVID taking away enough sense to call off a game that lopsided in numbers and as another excuse to use the Spanish translation because no one seems to have an English to Aymara translator, all <laughs> I can say is infierno sangriento. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What do you have for? Well, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I know, it's a weird one, isn't it? I was over the moon about the Bulldogs and the Demons playing on Friday night at Marvel, but Amen. we don't know if that's going to be going ahead or yeah. if so, how it's going to look. In the NBA, though, the Mavericks, Trailblazers, Hawks and Grizzlies have stolen home court advantage already, so how are the top seeds going to respond to that? So I'm amped to see how that all goes. How about yourself? Oh, I'm with you, mate. I was amped for that footy match, but we don't even know if it's going to go ahead. So now I'm amped to follow the news and to see what unfolds. There's a lot of off-court and off-field stuff going on at the moment. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.